Welcome to the Rimfire Tactical Podcast. I'm your host, Chris, from RimfireTactical.com, and I'm glad you're here. So let me start this episode by apologizing for taking so long to get it out. Um, My schedule is hectic and busy, just like everyone else's, but uh, the last few weeks, it has just been a whirlwind between work and family. And um, one of the challenges that I face, um, I use an app on my phone to record the podcast. And I do that because that gives me the flexibility to be able to record the podcast um, at you know times that are convenient and allow me to be able to do it without being stuck inside of a podcast studio or anchored in front of my t- um, my laptop. But the challenge with that is that uh, with my work, I take a lot of phone calls uh, throughout the day. Um, it's not uncommon some days for me to have 25, 30, 40 calls. Um, it's not, certainly not the norm to have 40, but 15, 20, 25, it's not uncommon at all. Um, I'm a sales rep, uh, well, actually... I'm a partner in a company that we uh, we actually handle a lot of the sales ourselves. Um, but then I also uh, have a few other businesses. And so the challenge with recording on my phone is that um, if I put the phone in airplane mode, because I'm recording over Wi-Fi, I'm still going to get phone calls. And so there really isn't a way for me to block out those phone calls from interrupting the recording because unfortunately when a phone call comes in if I'm recording like actually happened about 30 minutes ago when I was right in the middle of recording a podcast um, what happens there is it actually stops the recording and unfortunately um, the limitation or one of the limitations on the app that I use is that it doesn't allow you to go back and resume recording. So we're going to be making a transition uh, in the next few months to a much better scenario. But for the time being, I'm a big fan of take action. Um, you know, I, I've planned on doing this for some time. Um, I know a lot of people who plan and plan and plan. And in the business world, I've always been a big fan of having a plan, but taking action and action trumps planning in my world just because you can plan and plan and plan and plan and plan but if you don't ever actually take action it doesn't matter at all so now that we've got that out of the way got some exciting news for you i've started scheduling the interviews i talked about um got a number of uh, interviews coming up and just like you've heard me talk about in the past these are folks from the shooting world, uh, sponsored shooters, match directors, manufacturers. So one of the things I'd like to ask you to do, and I realize that a lot of, of the folks who listen to these podcasts may already be a member of the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group, but if you're not, go and join the group. And I'm not trying to get you to join the group just because I want you to join the group. Obviously, we'd love to have um, the group continue to grow. We're at over 4,000 members now. And 
you know, we're adding um, close to 100 members a week at this point. And what I, the reason I want you to, to go to the group, though, and join is because I'd like for you to um, leave some comments, specifically talk about topics you'd like us to discuss on the podcast and specific questions that you would like me to ask as I'm interviewing the guests of the podcast. And again, you know, these, these folks are everyone from sponsored shooters to the match directors, um, manufacturers and the manufacturers that we are lining up. Some produce firearms, some produce optics, some make pieces and parts. So it's a broad range. And I really think that uh, they're going to add a tremendous amount of value to the podcast. But, of course, if you have questions that you would like for us to discuss on the, the podcast, that gives you so much more value because I can address those specific questions with the guests. You know, if you're someone that's, that's for example, looking to get started in NRL 22, and you want, you know, specific questions answered. Maybe it's not necessarily the rifle or the optic that you're looking to to purchase, but you're, you have some questions about the types of bags that you like for, or you should you should purchase to use in the matches. Or if you've got other questions about, you know, hey, um, there isn't a match that's close to me. I'm going to have to travel. Um, what's some tips that you've learned from um, from traveling to matches to really, uh, be efficient, um, make sure that I've got everything that I need and make sure I've got things for variables that may be out of my control. Yeah. There's lots of different things that are out there. And, and if, you know, aside from the, those, uh, joining the Facebook group, Rimfire Tactical to, to ask those questions, you should join the group for, a multitude of reasons, but one of the main ones is with over 4,000 members, there is so much information that's talked about on a daily basis, and this is solid information. This is people that are coming there who are just getting started in shooting. Um, they're asking questions about a beginner rifle, a beginner optic. Some are asking questions about uh, what type of handgun should I get. I'm interested in shooting steel challenge. Um, uh, what type of red dot should I use? Hey, I'm running into this problem with my ammunition and I really need some help here. There's just a tremendous amount of conversation taking place there. Lots of new posts, lots of experienced shooters that are very willing to jump in, uh, help you try to, to sort things out, address any of the problems that you're running into or, Maybe you're not running into problems. You just have those questions and you're looking for somebody to, to um, basically help you figure out what's the purpose of, of you know, doing, doing things one way versus another. Um, and obviously, as a part of that group, <laughs> there is a tremendous amount of, of uh, talk about the different gear associated with, uh, with shooting. And like I said, that's everything from your rifles and scopes to handguns to bipods, uh, front rests, rear bags, what ammunition, um, hey, what type of sling should I use? 
So anyway, enough about the Facebook group. But again, just remember, if you're already a member, post up questions that you'd like to uh, have discussed in the podcast. If you're not a member of the group, head on over to facebook.com slash Renfire Tactical and request to join. Um, make sure that uh, you know you have a, a profile pic. Make sure you have a real profile. Um, we actually do check that. And you know, let's just go ahead and get you in there and you know get those questions answered for you. Now, something I want to talk about that uh, does come up a lot in the Facebook group, and I had promised to record a podcast going into more detail. Um, gosh, it's probably been a week or, so, or more ago at this point. But I wanted to talk about optics. And I know I, I spent some time talking in a, a previous episode about optics, but I wanted to dive into a little bit more detail on it and try to make sure that I've answered the questions uh, to the best of my ability to make sure that uh, for those who aren't familiar with the difference between optics that are designed for centerfire rifles and those that are designed for rimfires and the benefit of having a rimfire specific scope. The biggest thing that I encounter, and this goes back to the way that I grew up, and I believe a lot of us who grew up shooting uh, had a similar scenario. When I was growing up, the comment that I must have heard (laughs) probably literally no exaggeration at least a thousand times in my lifetime is I've heard the phrase put whatever scope you have on it just anything laying around it's just a 22 and you know it's funny growing up um, I've always enjoyed shooting always enjoyed shooting 22s and um, as I've gotten older and spend a majority of my time at this point hunting and competing and just having fun shooting 22s that phrase has always caught me (laughs) wrong because you know saying it's just a 22 makes it sound like it's nothing special it's just something that's there it's just you know it's just a little toy it's just a little um game it's just something for um, kids, uh, that, that's one of my favorites, but, uh, you know, growing up the mentality that, um, most of the people that I spent time with had was very simple. When they purchased a new 22 rifle, very few of them ever, including my father, uh, ever purchased a rifle and then also purchased a rimfire specific scope for that rifle now you have to realize i'm in my 40s and back 30 uh 40 years ago there were not as many rimfire specific scopes as there are now but they did exist and so what was instead um the norm that i would see is i would see my dad go out and buy a new rifle and more often than not until 
I was in my teens, uh, more often than not, what dad was going to put on a, a rifle, it was going to be a maybe a fixed four power, and that may have been from Bushnell or may have been from Redfield. Um, I don't remember him having any loopholes back then, but um, those were kind of the the scopes that he would typically put on a um, a twenty two. And like I said, either a fixed four power, um, occasionally a three to nine uh, variable, but almost always these were scopes that were set up for centerfire rifles, which means they had a parallax set at either 75 yards or 100 yards, or in some cases even out to 150 yards. And if you're not familiar with what I'm, I'm talking about with parallax, I'm not going to go into the technical definition. I'm much more of a practical guy. Um, basically, just think of it this way. When you're looking at a target and you're trying to focus on the target, and then you're also trying to focus on the crosshairs, if you're trying to shoot a target at 50 yards or even at 25 yards, and you're using a scope that has... The parallax set at let's say 100 yards what will you'll notice is that the crosshairs in your scope whatever that reticle is I I default to talking about crosshairs a lot uh, just because that's what I used growing up uh, I didn't learn about different types of reticles outside of a duplex reticle until I was in my 20s um, but when you're looking at that reticle and you're focusing on that target, um, typically when the scope is out of parallax for the distance you're shooting, what you'll find is that the, the reticle will appear a little fuzzy. Um, the If it's a duplex reticle, you'll notice that the crosshairs aren't crisp and very clean lines. Sometimes they can almost look, it almost appears like they're either fuzzy or um, there might even be two of them there, uh, depending on the quality of the scope. But you know, even with that limitation, at the time that I grew up, at least with my father and all the guys that he would spend time hunting and um, fishing and doing things with, nobody ever shot 22s for um, just to go out and play and shoot targets. And um, there was no 22 competition that I was ever aware of back then. So when, when, Dad would purchase a rifle, and later on when he bought me my first one, what um, the use of that scope, it was, I mean, we, we were just using those those rifles to squirrel hunt, or maybe groundhogs, um, occasionally, you know, maybe rabbits, but we were hunting. We were never shooting targets outside of just making sure that the, the, the rifle and scope was lined up, and um, I can remember one of the first rifles my dad bought me, the scope was actually, I believe, either a two to six variable or a three to six variable. Um, I think it was a weaver of some sort. And it was like a tiny little three eighths inch tube um, because back then that was considered perfectly acceptable for a 22 because you got to remember, it's just a 22. So it's interesting uh, that, you know, 
you don't know what you don't know. That's one of my favorite phrases. Uh, and, and there's a lot of truth in that. I didn't know that I was missing out or that there were better options because that's what my dad used. And my dad was my hero growing up, um, especially when it came to, to hunting and shooting. And he was the one who was teaching me how to hunt and shoot. And so if dad was using it and it worked great for him, well, surely it's good. <laughs> that was always my thought. Um, so as I got older, you know, I started to see that there were some scopes being made that were labeled as rimfire scopes, but they're always cheap. Um, they were cheap to the point where it, it sort of said to me, hey, this is cheap. So if it's cheap, it must not be very good. And so <laughs> that's exactly how we treated them. We, you know, um, we basically ignored them um, because it just seemed more like a marketing gimmick than anything else. But as my shooting changed and I was able to meet a lot of other shooters that did spend specific amounts of time or, you know, um, uh, maybe not even specific amounts of time, but basically these are folks who focused on shooting with, um, fires. That's when I learned that in fact, there is a huge amount of difference in scopes designed for air rifles and for 22s and your standard three to nine variable center fire scope. What's interesting about it is I, for a long time, I couldn't understand because I'd never been around. Um, this, this, this podcast will tell you a lot about how, how limited my exposure was growing up, but I'd never been around a, an air rifle. Everything I'd ever heard talked about was a BB gun or maybe a pellet rifle, but never it was never called an air rifle. Um, I didn't learn until probably my 20s just how accurate a quality air rifle could be, but that's a whole different subject. But um, anyway, moving on to talking about these scopes that are, uh, what's an ideal scope or what's one that, that I could use on a 22 that is going to give me the performance I'm looking for. It's going to give me the, uh, not just the ability to focus on a target that's close, totally get that, but be able to focus clearly on your target and be able to do that at whatever magnification you want to shoot at. And that magnification may vary a lot depending on what you're trying to do. I've got great friends of mine that shoot um, 50 yard rimfire bench rest. And a lot of those guys will shoot, um, they shoot those matches with their scope being on anywhere from a, um, a top magnification of 36 power or maybe higher. Um, got several friends that shoot using the night force competition scopes, which have a magnification range from 15 power all the way up to 55. So there's a lot of different things that can come into play, but 
for them, um, what's most important there, it's most important that they're able to see just the most minute differences in terms of where their bullet is impacting. Uh, I was in a conversation yesterday that actually talked about this very thing. You know, if that bullet is as little as a half bullet diameter, high or low, left or right, that can be the difference in a large match between being someone that is in the top three or top five or maybe top ten shooters in the match or somebody who dropped 60 places um, down in the rankings just because that half bullet diameter could be the difference between uh, a 10 or an 8 on that particular target. It could be the difference between um, maybe an 8 and, you know, a six or a four or something like that. I don't shoot um, bench rest, so I'm not nearly as familiar with their scoring. Um, but you get the idea. I see other shooters that are more along the lines of the types of matches that they shoot. They're more along the lines of what I do. Um, there's times where I'm shooting matches and I'm shooting out at two or 300 yards and I may have my scope maxed out on magnification at um, 35 power or 25, just depending on the rifle and scope I'm using. But then at that same distance, um, depending on the conditions, I may back that magnification down from 25 or 35 power down to 12 or maybe 15 or 18 power, just depending again on the conditions how windy is it, um, you know, what's what's happening around the target. Sometimes um, it's difficult because of the terrain. It's really difficult to, to see what's happening. Um, and so a lot of times I will back down the, the magnification to get a wider field of view. That wider field of view can make a huge difference in giving me the ability to be able to see Oh, look, those weeds, those weeds are blowing um, left to right at 200 yards, but at over here at maybe 125 yards, the, the wind's doing a totally different thing. So, um, you know, those, those are some things that can absolutely make a huge difference, you know, trying to determine the magnification that you need, but then also understanding that when it comes to shooting a, um, a 22, depending on what you're using it for, you may be shooting targets and those targets it could be paper. It could be steel. It could be squirrels, whatever. You could be shooting those things at 10, 15, 20 yards. Or you could be going all the way out to three, four, five hundred yards or farther. I know we've got members of the Rimfire Tactical Group that, you know, shoot Coke cans at 600 yards. Um, so, you know, you can't do that with a scope that isn't, um, A, very clear. Um, 
but you also can't do that with a scope that doesn't have a few other options, which I'm going to talk about next. We've talked about that. Um, one of the things with the rimfire scopes being that parallax, either on a rimfire scope, one that's got the parallax set from the factory, if it's a fixed power scope, or even if it's a variable that doesn't offer any uh, adjustable parallax, um, if it's labeled as a rimfire scope, most of those are going to have, you know, a 50 yard um, factory setting. I have seen a few, actually own a few that didn't realize it until after the fact, but they actually have a 75 yard uh, parallax, which it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, but had I realized that, had I done a little bit more research instead of saying, hey, that's a pretty good deal. Let's give this, this scope a shot. You know, I probably would have made a different decision on, on buying those. But that parallax, that is the, the biggest factor when shooting rimfire, especially when you're shooting at the shorter uh, ranges. Now, let's talk a little bit about um, the folks that are really stretching it, stretching out the distances that they're shooting. What do they use? Are they using scopes that are labeled as a rimfire scope? The question comes up you know, from time to time, and the answer is pretty emphatically no. Um, the reason they're not using scopes that are labeled as rimfire scopes is because the optics industry tends to, um, they don't, they don't treat 22s the same as, you know, like I described what I grew up around because there are a lot of scopes now that are much better quality that are, um, they're designed, you know, for rimfire specifically, but they also, um, the optics industry doesn't necessarily, um, think in terms of shooting a 22 long rifle at 200, 300, 400, 500 yards and farther. Now that's definitely, I'm sure going to change because of the popularity of, of a lot of the precision rifle type matches that are uh, coming up out. Um, NRL 22 I don't think that's really one that will have a huge impact because from what I've seen and understand, they limit their matches to 100 yards uh, unless the individual match directors offer up an opportunity to, um, you know, they may add a stage or two where you're shooting farther than 100 yards, but, but the NRL course of fire is typically 100 yards or less. And most of the scopes that are on the market will get you out to a hundred yards with no problem. But what has become more and more popular and as a side note, it's part of what led to this, this Facebook group, the website that if I can ever get my web designer to get the rest of everything together, will be live and not just say coming soon. But again, you know, the Facebook group, um, and the podcast, all these things, you know, the name Rimfire Tactical, where did that come from? And it's really funny because there was some guy that was, uh, posting in, in one of the 22 groups and, um, he kept making fun of the name and, you know, I, I get it. Um, tactical and Rimfire, 
does that is that something that you know we hear talked about all the time? Of course not. But you know, he kept posing the question, and you know, it's it's been my experience when you have trolls, the best thing to do is just leave them alone. But um, you know, what's it saying? Don't feed the trolls. But what was funny about it is he's like, I've you know, I've had all these years in the military, which thank you, sir. Appreciate your 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 service. Absolutely admire that. Um, and totally recognize it. But he kept, you know, spouting um or or going off about, you know, I've had all this time in the military, I've never seen a tactical twenty two, and I'm thinking, okay, twenty years ago, I remember hearing about um, the Mossad, and I hope I'm saying that right, um, which is the Israeli Special Forces, um, over 20 years ago, they were using Ruger 1022s that were suppressed as crowd control. And um, I remember reading an article that basically just said, you know, when they had a, um, a huge mob of people that, um, you know, were getting out of hand, they would use the 1022 as a way to, um, I don't know that takeout is necessarily the right term to use, but they would use that 1022 as a, a way to uh, pinpoint the ringleader, the person who was instigating the mob or whatever. And, um, you know, I don't remember if that article said they, they shot that guy or that lady to kill them or if they, they shot them to injure them and basically, um, quiet them. Don't really know. Doesn't really matter. But, um, I, like I said, I remember reading about that 20 to 25 years ago. Um, but, uh, anyway, that, that was just a little side note there, but what, what made me or, or or what created this thought and the name was I saw a lot of people on different gun forums who were starting to explore the options of coming up with a, an inexpensive trainer to their centerfire rifle. They were using um, whatever was available to them. Some were buying, you know, Savage rifles or Marlins or maybe trying to restock a, a Remington bolt action. Um, some were using uh, on-shoots rifles, or or uh, uh, I know the technical name, I believe, is Saco, but, you know, where I grew up in the South, everybody calls them Sacos. Um, but, you know, they were they were taking these, these 22s, um, restocking them into some sort of a, a more... Um, uh, or a stock that was, we, they could, whatever they could get that would mimic and be as close to their centerfire rifle, whether it was for competition or whatever the case may be. Um, so they were trying to take these, these actions, these barreled actions, they were putting them into stocks that were more of a tactical nature. And then in addition to putting them into these tactical stocks, a lot of the, those uh, shooters were, in turn, using what what was at the time referred to as a tactical scope. And back then, um, a popular one that I remember was the Leupold Mark IV. 
Um, I saw a lot of people use those on their 22s. And I remember at the time when I first started seeing that, I was like, gosh, you know, I can't imagine spending that much money on a scope that I'm going to put on a 22. And it wasn't that I, I had that mentality of it's just a 22, but I just couldn't fathom it. I couldn't, I couldn't afford it for one thing. So that, that, that really, you know, kept me from having to worry too much about it, but I just couldn't imagine spending that type of money and not being able to use that scope on something else. And, um, but the, the loophole Mark four was the first scope that I remember seeing people put on 22s. And then later, I remember the first time I saw somebody take a night force, a night force in excess, which at the time was like the Holy grail scope to me. Um, I thought if I could ever get to the point that I could afford one of those, I had absolutely made it. Um, and I was just amazed when I saw somebody with a, if I remember correctly, I think the first time I saw it, it was an on shoots, um, a 64 NPR, uh, 22 rifle. And the guy put in the, on shoot, or, uh, the, the night force in excess, uh, 5.5 to 22 on it. And I was just mesmerized. I thought, man, that is crazy. Um, but you know, le- later on, uh, you know, I, I continue to see more and more people that started using these higher end optics on their 22s. And I mean, I was curious about it, but again, I was so hung up on the cost associated with it. I really couldn't get past that to to understand why they were doing it. And then finally, um, you know, I started to understand they're doing it because a, a lot of those tactical type scopes, their tracking was very good, very consistent. And so as these guys are dialing their elevation, dialing from a 50 yard zero out to 7,500, 75 or a hundred or, or farther, you know, those tactical turrets sticking up made it very easy to dial in the elevation that was needed. That in turn made it um, much quicker to do. So if they were shooting under a time constraint, they could shoot a target at 50 yards, crank that elevation up to, you know, whatever the elevation might be. Maybe it's six mils for 200 yards, crank it to six, fire on the target they're shooting at there. And then if they need to come back down to maybe a hundred yards, they can immediately reach up, grab that turret, dial down to, you know, 1.2 mils or whatever it happens to be, depending on the scope and the, um, the scope and the rifle and the, the ammo. But it made it very easy for them to, to dial from one range to the next. And also what it did was it gave them, um, a either an adjustable objective or a side parallax that would at least um, come down to 50 yards. And, you know, that was a huge thing to be able to have a scope that had incredibly clear glass at full magnification at 50 yards and be able to, to have this great picture 
the reticle was clear and crisp. That was huge. That was was absolutely huge. Um, now, what has become? I hesitate to say this because I think it sounds crazy to an extent, based on you know my background that you've heard me talk about here. But now, if you go through and look in the the Facebook groups, not just Rimfire Tactical, but other Facebook groups, if you go and look through uh, different gun forums, it is not uncommon at all to see a lot of people. And like I said, almost I feel silly to say it, but it's almost become the norm for people who have their, their tactical trainers, their Rimfire Tactical trainers, if you want to call them that, it's not uncommon at all for them to see or for you to see those people with night force optics and some of those night force scopes. It's not just the NXS um, models. It's the, the more expensive uh, night force attack R's. The seven to 35 uh, is a really popular scope. The Schmidt and Bender uh, PM2 optics. The Vortex Gen 2 razors, um, the Collis optics. Um, it's not uncommon at all to see a lot of people putting optics that are anywhere from two to three thousand to four thousand um, dollars. I've seen several of the Zero Compromise uh, recently on um, people's Voodoo's and CZs. Also seen some of the tangent thetas, which um, tangent theta used to be uh, premier reticles years ago. Um, but I mean, you're talking optics that start at two thousand dollars, and a lot of these are going up to, like I said, thirty five hundred, four thousand, forty five hundred dollars. And you know, when I start thinking about that, that's just it, it's amazing where things have have gone in that rimfire space. But what happens with those scopes is you get, you get great tracking. So that for example, if you're shooting at a um, hundred yards, as a matter of fact, uh, I just saw a video this morning from a uh, member of the rimfire tactical group, um, a guy named Mike Suttle. He's an awesome shooter. He's a sponsor shooter. But he was showing target uh, tra or, um, um, tra uh, tracking for his scope. And so he was showing how he had shot a group at 100 yards. And then he had dialed 10 mils of elevation and shot another group. And he measured the distance between the groups. And he was showing how one optic, it shot exactly where it should have. It was right on target, right where um, you know 10 mils should be. And another optic from a different manufacturer, um, it was a little bit higher. He adjusted 10 mils, but after adjusting the 10 mils, from what I could tell, it looked like it was more about, you know, 10.1 to 10.2 is the actual movement based off of, um, you know, what should have been the proper distance versus where the, the group actually was. So, you know, Having that that um, tracking is huge, especially for the type of shooting that we're talking about. 
where you're shooting various ranges, you're dialing that elevation up, you're dialing it down, back and forth, multiple times throughout a match, that's huge. Having clarity, good, clear glass that can help you see what's happening, not just on the target, but also all around it. Um, something that you can dial that parallax for 10, 15, 20 yards, all the way out to, you know, as far as you want to shoot. And to have that clarity, that is huge. Can't I can't talk about that, that enough. Um, and really what I've seen for myself is as I've spent more time behind better glass, um, you know, you get to a point where it's really difficult to, um, I guess you could say almost convince yourself to use um, a scope that maybe the, the glass isn't as clear or um, I know I'm guilty because I, I shoot um, so much on um, my rim fires. I'm guilty when I'm shooting some of my center fires, especially the ones that I hunt with that are a bit different. Um, and this, and actually this would apply for rim fires as well. Some of my center fire rifles, um, where I hunt, I deer hunt. Um, I'm limited to a shot of maybe 200 yards, um, on the max end. Um, there's a few places where I might be able to get a shot at 300 yards, but a majority of my time is spent in the woods where, I'm shooting 75 yards or less. So, you know, when my rifle is zeroed, it's done. Um, consequently, the same thing happens on some of my 22s. Some of my 22s that I'm not using for target shooting and competition, and all I'm doing with those is maybe using them for squirrel hunting. And I'm going to zero those things that uh, typically I zero them about 35 yards. And I call it good because... Um, whether I'm shooting a squirrel at, um, much closer or typically I can get a shot on a squirrel in, in the area that I hunt, I don't shoot squirrels on the ground. I only shoot them if they're in a tree. Um, so it's not that often I get the opportunity to 50 yard shot, but, um, with a 35 yard zero from, um, about 15 yards out to about 50 yards. Uh, if I can get a good steady rest, that squirrel's in trouble. But anyway, that's, again, going back to the different types of, of shooting that you do. That can have a lot of influence on the type of optics that you use. So I know I've rambled a little bit, but this is one of those things that for a long time, I didn't really understand it because I didn't understand it. Um, I didn't understand the the reasoning behind it and just didn't understand why it was such a big deal. Um, the more time I've spent shooting tiny targets, the more I understand the higher magnification, the more I understand, you know, picking a reticle that is, um, you know, not too cluttered, but gives you the ability to, to see what's happening and to adjust very quickly. And actually I'm going to spend a few minutes on this because this is something I've, I had, I've had four conversations in the last week about just reticles alone. Um, 
I spent some time with a couple of guys shooting a few weeks ago, and I'm not going to mention the name of the rifle, and I won't mention the name of the scope that he was using, one of the shooters, but what was interesting is every time he would chamber around and fire a shot, he would utter some comment of, you know, I hate this scope, or I hate this rifle. Or sometimes it was, I hate this scope and rifle. And, um, you know, to, to be clear, I shot the rifle and uh, the trigger is terrible. Uh, the accuracy, at least with the different types of ammo he was trying and some of my match ammo, we couldn't get it to shoot well. And the scope, it was terrible. Um, it wasn't very clear. Um, the tracking was way off and it just left a lot to be desired. But what's important about it is as I was trying to help him get on target at 300 yards, his elevation was completely maxed out. So he couldn't dial anymore. The reticle that he was using was a very crude. Um, it was, I think it was supposed to be mill dots, but I'm not sure. But, um, I'm going to assume that they were mill dots because what I have seen from a lot of scopes uh, on the market, not as many um, in current manufacturer, but previously what was very common is you would see a mill dot reticle in a scope that had MOA adjustments. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the difference between MOA and mill dots or mill radians. Um, just know those adjustments are not the same. And so uh, you can, a quick Google search will find, you can find so much information there that uh, we're not going to dive into all that. But what I, um, what I want to talk about here is at 300 yards, he was shooting at a 12 inch square plate. And thankfully, the plate was laying on a dirt bank that was, I'm guessing, about six feet tall. And the plate was towards the top of the the bank. Well, when he kept trying to, you know, figure out what was happening, uh, I just told him, I said, look, stop. Let me get behind my rifle. Um, because, unfortunately, my spotting scope doesn't have a reticle. Um, if you, if you, uh, are in a spotting role or if you're shooting a lot and competing. Um, that's another thing that I did not appreciate until just recently. Um, but I have a great spotting scope, um, but unfortunately it does not have a reticle. So whenever I'm spotting for someone, I can give them an approximate distance if I'm looking through that spotter, but I can't tell them you're three mils low. So, Instead of getting behind my spotting scope, I got behind one of my rifles, and so I centered up my um, reticle. I centered it on the plate that he was shooting at, and that's on. Go ahead, fire away. And sure enough, I was able to tell him, "Okay, you know, your last shot was, you know, 0.8 mils to the right and 2.7 mils low." 
And then he was able to start using basically um, holdover and some Kentucky windage. Um, and he was able to start adjusting his point of aim to compensate for where his scope A wasn't tracking properly. As he had dialed up the elevation, it actually um, not only moved the reticle up, but it had moved it to the right. So he gained right windage as he gained elevation. But then again, like I said, the scope was maxed out. So he was able to start holding high and left. And I was able to kind of walk him in on that target as he kept holding higher and more to the left. Um, his ammunition wasn't doing him any favors. He probably had a difference of, um, I don't really know because he couldn't hold dead center on the plate and hit the dirt anywhere around it to, to really have a, a firm aiming point. Um, the vegetation that was behind the target was just too cluttered to really have a, a defined aiming point. But it looked to me like he was getting anywhere from a 12 to 15 inch spread on his uh, impacts at 300 yards. Um, so anyway, because I was able to look through my optic and be able to give him holds based off what my reticle was telling me, that allowed him to, you know, get on target. But if I hadn't done that, it would have been much more difficult if, if I had um, just a, a simple duplex reticle. If I had a reticle that didn't have some sort of hash marks, whether it's MOA or Mills, you know, whatever your preference is there. I know at, when I was growing up, again, forever ago, um, I didn't know what a mill reticle was. Uh, I'm sure if I heard anything about it, it was some, some Tom Berenger sniper movie or something like that, because that's, that was just not something that was ever talked about in the circles that I was a part of. But what, uh, you know, what was always talked about was MOA. Well, now you can get, uh, reticles from just about every manufacturer, uh, scope manufacturer. You can get those with mill adjustments and mill reticles, or you can get those with MOA adjustments and MOA reticles. But what I would hugely recommend is to have a scope that has a reticle that gives you hash marks. Um, and if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, either um, the little vertical lines on the windage left and right, the little uh, horizontal lines on the reticle, um, going up and down, something that gives you a, a, a point that you can hold. Uh, you can hold that or, or use that as the aiming point uh, if you're not adjusting for wind or if you're not adjusting for elevation or something like that. Um, and, and to give you a case in point, I shot a match yesterday. Um, shooting that match, the wind at 200 yards was really tricky. And I was shooting uh, Ram silhouettes at 200 yards. And rather than adjusting the windage, I was able to shoot at a cider plate and was consistently getting um, a group that was hitting 
about 0.6 mils. I'm sorry, I think it was 0.4 mils um, left. And so what that was telling me is the wind, the wind is moving my bullet's impact, you know, 14, or 0.4 mils uh, left. But occasionally the wind would drop. And when it would drop, my group would come right back to my point of aim. So what I was able to do is turn around and, and um, look at that 0.4, look at the distance. I was able to move my reticle over, put it on one of the rams, and realize that if I hold near the right edge of the ram, even with the wind, you know, uh, blowing that bullet 0.4 to the left, the wind was fairly consistent. So if the wind's blowing, I'm going to hit that ram. If the wind eases, I'm still going to hit that ram because I'm holding on the ram. And so I was able to uh, run the, the rams very quickly um, because I was able to measure where that hold should be. I was able to measure because the reticle and the scope that I was using um, has a hash mark every 0.2 mils. So there's a center dot in the reticle, but then left, right, up, and down, there's a hash mark every 0.2 mils. So it makes it very easy to not only see where uh, the bullet's impacting and have an actual measurement instead of going, well, it's on a duplex reticle and it's looks like it's, you know, maybe a third of the weight left of the, um, the crosshairs or something like that. But, you know, having that reticle with adjustments or not adjustments, but the hash marks there, whether it's an MOA or Mills, having that in place will make you a much better shooter. It'll help you understand what your bullets are actually doing at distance. Yesterday, uh, as a great example, between ultra cold temperatures, um, I say ultra cold, it was 36 degrees when we were shooting the match. That's not terribly cold, but it's the first time I've shot a match out to 200 in temperatures that cool. Um, most of the time when I've shot this match, it's somewhere between 75 and 85 degrees. And it was very easy for me yesterday to see that a the wind is is you know it's moving the bullets all around um, because it was variable it was changing uh, at a different distances it was it was some was left to right some was right to left but what I was also able to immediately do when I first sat down I uh, I decided to shoot at 200 because I knew with it being colder it was going to slow the velocity down a bit I was just curious how much. So I put my 200 yard uh, adjustment on my scope, shot a group at, at 200, and immediately, because I could measure it in my reticle, I could see that I was one mil low on impact from what my normal 200 yard data is. So I could see that because it was in my reticle. And then I was able to immediately adjust my scope, one mil, uh, cranked in one more mil of elevation, and shot a five-shot group right where it should be. And if I had not um, been able to measure that in my reticle, I would have had to make some adjustments, 
shoot. Make some adjustments, shoot. And it's just a way to speed the process up. So I know I've, I've you know, rambled on and on, but I just, uh, this is such a big topic to me because the more I've come to understand about the reticles and the glass clarity and how important it is that the scope tracks properly because we're constantly, you know, dialing elevation up and down. Those things are just so big. And then having that ability, especially with an NRL type scenario where you're shooting targets as close as 25 yards, having the ability to adjust that parallax on your optic so that you can see clearly what you're doing. Um, case in point, there's several matches where, well, you know, one of the stages will have you shooting a playing card that's turned sideways, or maybe you're shooting matchsticks, or I know um, a group of shooters that I uh, shoot with occasionally, one of their stages that they'll put into their match is they're shooting those little um, dum-dum suckers or lollipops or whatever you want to call them. Um, they're shooting those uh, at 100 yards. And so they they drill a board. They stick the put the sticks for the lollipops down into that. And so you get, I think it's five points for a hit on the sucker. And those suckers are, I don't know, maybe the diameter of a nickel. Um, but I think you get five points. If you hit the um, the sucker itself, and then you get ten points if you can hit the stick. And so, I mean, that would tell you a lot about the magnification needed, the clarity needed, um, accurate tracking, but also um, if your parallax is off, it's going to be really difficult to hit that. So, anyway, thanks so much for listening. Please um, help us get the word out about the podcast. Um, share it, spread around social media, uh, tell your friends about it and go over to the, the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group and give us some feedback, you know, always looking for constructive feedback. Um, you know, I want this to be the best podcast it can possibly be. I want to provide the best information I can and I want to do it, um, in a manner that, that is, you know, helpful, um, to those that are new to shooting and those that have been around for a long time. So remember to go out, have some fun, shoot some targets, take some friends, take some family, take a kid. And remember, it's not just a 22. It's from Fire Tactical. <laughs>